Hi, before you start listening to this podcast, I need to tell you that the views, thoughts and opinions expressed belong solely to the contributors and not to any other organisation, committee, group or individual. We cannot verify the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to entertain, educate and promote discussion. Unless otherwise stated, we have not consulted medical professionals or other professional services. If you or anyone you know is affected by breast cancer or any other medical condition, please consult your doctor. Whether you agree or disagree with our discussion points, we would love to hear from you. Please keep your correspondence polite and respectful. You can contact us on chemoconvo at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hope you enjoy the series. Hi everyone, this is the introduction to episode 8. don't know if you can hear the lovely sound of birds chirping behind me. I'm at my local park, um, just dropped my son at tennis and having a moment to walk, run around the park and stop at the machines and do some gentle exercise, uh, which brings me nicely on to the introduction for episode 8 because I'm delighted to welcome... Stephanie Lightfoot, who is also a breast cancer survivor and an athlete and all-round general sporty person who knows everything there is to know about keeping fit during cancer treatment and into the years following cancer treatment. Uh, So it's a great discussion on ways that you can tweak, being the key word, your lifestyle. I hope it's relevant and helpful for people who even who don't have cancer but just feel a bit overwhelmed by how they can get a bit fitter and healthier. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm all good. I've had Fesco 11, getting a heart checkup in a couple of weeks, so we'll see how my heart's coping with that. Had a bit of a scare, had an MRI, it was all clear. Phew, big, big phew. And I've got my reconstruction surgery coming up in three weeks' time, so things moving forward. And I think I will do a big old Liz health update next time if you really want to know or maybe I won't because maybe it's just really boring I always did used to think that people talking about their health woes was boring and listen to me now okay well look I hope you enjoy the episode I'm going to hand over to Steph for her introduction and then get into the episode enjoy everyone hi there I'm Steph so like you I'm also a breast cancer survivor I was diagnosed in December 2021 and finished my active treatment about a year ago so in February 23 I'm also a mum I've got twins who are five and a half um, and I'm also an athlete um, I've got 15 years experience working in the fitness industry I'm a sports therapist a personal trainer uh, a yoga teacher a triathlon coach a kettlebell instructor I've got a whole kind of array of, of different fitness related qualifications and then I've now also qualified as a cancer exercise specialist and I've created a website and an Instagram account called cancercoach.me and it has two aims the first of which is to to kind of tell my story and to provide information as breast cancer and fitness go together because for me staying active through all my treatment literally saved me I mean I don't know how I would have got through it without and there's lots and lots of reasons why it's super important to exercise during and after a cancer diagnosis specifically breast cancer but we'll I'm sure get onto that later and then so that on the one side it's you know it's providing free information it's providing 
telling my story. And hopefully when I was diagnosed, I looked for a me. I wanted to find somebody who was relatively young and active and sporty and maybe a mum who'd been through a similar story. And and I couldn't find that person. So it's kind of a blog to help provide hope and, and inspiration um, and information. And then I also coach other cancer patients on a one-to-one basis, um, which I, I offer coaching remotely, looking at fitness, wellness, nutrition, general well-being, whatever the the person wants to work on and focus on either during their treatment or afterwards as part of a kind of lifestyle change or tweak. And I, I guess I would say, you know, obviously there are lots of lots of options out there when it comes to fitness, but it's fair to say that nobody really gets it apart from another cancer patient. You know, it's all your, the best friends and partners in the world as much as they have incredible empathy. If you haven't been through it, then you don't get it in the same way. So there we go. That's what I do. All right, then. I'm so happy to say that I've driven up to the mountains to meet Steph. Hi. (laughs) Steph is someone that I was connected to through a mutual friend who lives very close to me in terms of, well, I'm in Geneva and she's up in the mountains. Not a big deal for me to drive away from this uh, kind of grey Geneva as it was today (laughs) and come up to the mountains one of the things I wanted to ask you was, so we're talking about the, uh, it's your word that I've stolen and I love it, tweaks, the tweaks yeah. you've made to your lifestyle since, since your diagnosis and into recovery. And one of the categories of tweaks that we want to get into is fitness and something that I just read over and over again and any podcast I listen to on stopping recurrence or reducing risks of recurrence is so specific about exercise being so important. And I'm quite surprised about actually how specific, like down to the amount of hours of exercise and minutes you should do per week and the type, like weight bearing. I can't remember off the top of my head, so 150 minutes a week minimum with X amount weight bearing. And, you know, and there must be science behind that, right? Is that? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's. Well, we know it works anyway. We know it works. I mean, basically the statistic that I always come back to I guess because I've had breast cancer, so it's the most relevant to me, but it applies to so many different cancers, is that exercise helps prevent recurrence. Yes. It's not the be it's a fact. Mm. It's not absolute, as in, you know, there are people who exercise who will get a recurrence, obviously. But one of the very, very best things you can do if you've had cancer is to keep exercising, keep Mm -hmm. moving if you want to prevent a recurrence in your future. And for breast cancer patients, the which is Possibly the statistics are very specific because it's been so well studied Mm -hmm. and you see different numbers bandied around, but it's up to 40%. The reduced. The reduction. So if you you exercise after breast cancer, you Mm -hmm. reduce your risk of recurrence by up to 40%. Okay. Which if you've had breast cancer, I mean... It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Like it's more effective than any medicine. Yeah. God, I think I'm just having a penny dropping moment. Because even though I've read about all this and heard about all this, it is a real thing. It's, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the studies, any kind of scientific study, to be credible, it has to be measurable, Mm -hmm. which is why you've got very specific guidelines that have been spat out of it Mm -hmm. at the end. The reality is, as a cancer exercise specialist, the best thing you can do is exercise yeah. and move and find something that you enjoy doing. And it mm-hmm. doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't absolutely matter if it doesn't tally with the exact guidelines. Okay. The guidelines are to move 150 
minutes per week mm-hmm. in of kind of moderate exercise or 75 minutes a week of, of yes. intense exercise. Okay. So for me, moderate exercise would be in kind of athletic terms, that's zone two heart rate. Yeah. So basically that would be going for a fast walk where you're able to chat with your mates or okay. a gentle bike ride or a gentle swim. That's kind mm-hmm. of what you're aiming for if, you, mm-hmm. if you're looking at that. That's moderate. That's yeah. moderate. The 75 minutes would be you've got an actual proper sweat on, you're pretty out of breath. You might be able to say a sentence, but you're not okay. really chatting. Yeah. In my mind, doing a bit of a mix of those things is, is actually probably mm-hmm. the best balance. But obviously everybody's starting at different fitness levels. Yeah. So, you know, it depends... What and what you, about this thing about the weight bearing? Is it, so that's huge. Just because I keep reading about it. I know, and Liz, huge. Our friend Liz O'Reilly, Dr. Liz, was, yeah. had a, a fitness expert on her podcast who was talking about the weight bearing being particularly important in this circumstance. So that is largely, it is a very effective just generally in terms of preserving your body health. Okay. So weight bearing exercise is super critical for bone health. Mm-hmm. Um, and for any of us who've had breast cancer, which is hormone receptive, mm-hmm. or who've been plunged into menopause as a result of going through chemo, mm-hmm. protecting our bones from osteopenia and osteoporosis is really, really important. Okay, Doing weight bone bearing exercise helps with building muscle and muscle is metabolically active. So the more weight bearing exercise and the stronger we remain, mm-hmm. the... Uh, more metabolically active you are, you help combat things like weight gain, which mm-hmm. again ties in with with menopause. And then for things like balance, just general longevity, it's so important to do weights. So weight bearing exercise, does that mean sorry such a such an obvious question. Does that mean lifting weights? Not necessarily. Okay. Weight bearing exercise could be body weight bearing. So doing something like a plank, for example, yeah. is a weight bearing exercise. Okay or hanging off a, a bar or a yeah. tree branch or okay. anything like that. If you were to hang... So you're using your body weight. You're using yeah. your body weight as a weight. Or there are sports that would be considered weight-bearing. Mm-hmm. So, for example, rock climbing or climbing in a giant climbing gym mm-hmm. or bouldering or that kind of thing would be weight-bearing because you're you're using your body weight as a, as a weight. Mm-hmm. But going swimming or mm-hmm. going for a jog isn't that's aerobic that yeah is, that's focusing on your heart and lungs okay because actually swimming's one of the things that I've taken up and it it just happened by by accident in that it's funny because I've read about this and heard about this exercise being so important to to stop recurrence and I think I was just like a little bit like yeah whatever whatever you know and then when I got the double whammy of the heart diagnosis and my cardio I said to my cardiologist what what can I do to help my heart health and he said exercise at least half an hour every second day for some reason that was the one that really made me go oh shit I really do need to do some exercise and I think because it was summer and we were in the middle of a heat wave and I used to quite like swimming I just I went to the pool one day um I was having radiotherapy at the time and I was really tired and it was an Olympic sized pool and I did four lengths that's all I could do. And then I thought, I'm going to go in a couple of days and see if I can do six. And then eight. And long story short, I got up to 20. And then when the weather got colder, I moved to an indoor pool. And I'm still, I'm not going religiously every second day. But I'm definitely doing this thing, which I was never able to do before. Because we're, we're very similar in lots of ways. But when it comes to exercise, <laughs> we're quite different. 
And I can very easily talk myself out of doing exercise. Oh, no, so can I. But I've got... But you do it. I, think I you, do do it. Yeah. Whereas I'm, I've taught myself out more than I should. Well, I did. And this is the first tweak that I would say that I wanted to discuss is I now go swimming every second day or do some kind of exercise. But if I wake up and I think I'm going to be in the pool in half an hour, I probably wouldn't go because I'm just like, why would I do that? It's freezing and... I could just stay in my pyjamas and I'm working from home today. But if I say, right, I'm going to put my swim costume in the bag with my goggles and my towel, and then I'm going to walk towards the door and put my trainers on. And there's almost like this other Liz that's watching me doing it going, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm doing <laughs> each one of these little steps. And I they even say to myself, I'm like, now I'm in the car and driving to the pool. This is what I'm doing. I'm just driving to the pool. I'm not going swimming. I'm just driving to the pool. And then now I'm parking the car. Now I'm paying a ticket. And I have, it's really, really weird for me. It's only when I actually drop into the pool that I'm like, how all those, yeah, how did they get here? All those little things ended up with me in the pool and the moment I'm in the pool I'm so so glad that I did it it's I mean I have a similar relationship with swimming because I love it in the summer it's incredible and where we live we have this most beautiful outdoor municipal pool that's like okay. really the most beautiful swimming pool in the world well, dear. so in the summer it's easy but in the winter when there's snow on the ground and you're like scraping your car in the morning yeah and just like seriously what am I doing so I've got I have this rule that's called the one two three rule okay and I heard it on a podcast or something and I've adopted it as it's not my own. I borrowed it from somewhere else, but it, it, I really like it because okay. it works. Whenever I'm procrastinating and mm-hmm. I'll find myself like reorganising the felt tip pens <laughs> in the kid's bedroom and like cleaning the toilet again. And I'm like, what are you doing? So I basically stop what I'm doing and I go one. I literally say it out loud. Mm-hmm. I'm like one, two, three, go. Okay. Oh, so you say it out loud. I say it out loud and then I'll that'll be my cue to go and get my swimming stuff yeah. or whatever. And it's really silly, but it's very effective. It well, it's not silly. It sounds like it works. And yeah, I think any little hack like that that gets you doing the thing. Exactly. You know you that's so good for so many reasons. And it's crazy, isn't it? Because of whatever sport it is, the moment you start doing it, I mean, it really does bloody work. The endorphins everything's good it's like this upward spiral so yeah it's just that getting yourself into the whatever it is the pool or on the bike or whatever into the gym so the other thing is knowing that swimming isn't weight bearing and I kind of just fell into the swimming just literally because that day on the way back from radiotherapy I drove past the the pool and it was a hot day and that's something just went oh swimming I'll do that but then I did start to understand that weight bearing was something that would be helpful as well so I also go, and I, I realise this is a privilege because I pay for it, to see a personal trainer once a week who's done quite a tailored 45-minute workout for me, bearing in mind my heart health at the moment. I wouldn't want to go to a group exercise class because I wouldn't want to feel like I had to keep up with people when yeah, I know okay. that I've got this So what are the guidelines other than being on? told you need to do some exercise every other day? Have you got a maximum heart rate that you're allowed to take it to? Or oh, what he hasn't guidelines? given me numbers. And actually, I will talk to him about that because he has been a bit nonspecific. I think because my heart functions have been fluctuating and there's been times when it's been normal and there's been times when it hasn't. He kind of says flippant comments like, just don't go and run a marathon. I'm okay. like, well, what does that mean? Like, does it mean that I shouldn't even run around the block? It's running per se bad. And he said, like, hit workouts aren't great for me. And so I think gentle gentle's the the key word yeah so he said rather than 
running walk for 20, run for 20, walk for 20. So, but I would like to get more specifics now that I've also started to understand. I didn't even know what heart rate was. Like literally, I didn't know what, if someone said to me before, what's, what's a normal resting heart rate? I would have had no idea. No, okay. I might have said 300 or I might have said 30. You know, I would have had no yeah. idea that like 50, 60, 70. Now I know that. And I wear one of those smart watches. So I know what my heart rate's doing. And I would like to get a little bit more guidance on him on what I should be aiming for. But yeah, I haven't quite got there yet. <laughs> I mean, I think it's up to him to kind of give you those guidelines. But generally speaking, with an underlying heart condition and also at our age and everything mm-hmm. that we've been through, because not, you know, the chemo is cardiotoxic and it has been for me as well. Mm. Um, you need a longer warm up and kind of then... I do now push my heart rate at the top end, but for a very long time I didn't. I okay. just kind of kept it very steady. So you're exercising mm-hmm. and like I said, you're, you're kind of zoned too. So that's like chatting pace mm-hmm. and you just build it up slowly. Yeah. And, and also cool down mm-hmm. is as important, if not more important for your heart yeah. than the warm up at the beginning. But I don't, I wouldn't jump into anything like some super intensive hit class or anything like that where it's you create spikes and then if you do with your personal trainer Mm -hmm. if you're lifting weights again you kind of you need to build up slowly and make sure you do things where you don't hold your breath because that puts pressure on your heart so breathing through you know I don't know if you're doing like overhead press for example tie it in with your breathing so that you're making sure that you're oxygenating your system and that your heart is not put under pressure by because you know when you do if you lift something really heavy even if it's like shopping bags yeah i definitely have a tendency where you kind of you hold your breath yeah for sure yeah yeah and that's not very good for you okay okay so i didn't know any of that gosh i need to i need to engage the services of steph (laughs) yeah no it's it is um I kind of came out of cancer treatment thinking I must do this, must do this, must do this and must talk to the cardiologist, must get an exercise regime. And then I know it's just just lots of must do's, aren't there? And I think that's where the tweak, that's why I loved your word tweaks, because for me, it's much more doable to make small tweaks. So I don't really have a, a strategy for fitness, but I do know that getting into the pool a couple of times a week is a good thing. I do know that going to see my personal trainer is a good thing. I do yoga once a week with this amazing... um, Did you use the services of the English-speaking Cancer Association in Geneva? Yeah, so they're really, really great. They gave me free counselling with an amazing therapist. And we'll maybe come on to a bit of the kind of stress reduction stuff that we're we're doing. Um, And they also gave me access to tons of stuff, one of which was free yoga classes once a week. Amazing. And the yoga teacher's incredible. You know, when they first said it's yoga with other cancer, people with cancer, I just kind of thought, oh, God, I'm just actually get away from this. I know. Yeah. But it's so not. It's just yeah. so not. I mean, but some of us were sitting there in headscarves going through chemo. Some some people were out of years out of cancer. And some of the ladies in the yoga class have unfortunately got metastatic cancer. We're all there together doing yoga for the same reason. And it's so incredible that it's free. So I maybe I'll at um, Esker when I when I publish this episode on Instagram. I need to look it up. Yeah, they've actually just had a name rebrand. I'll put it in the show notes. They're actually not the acronyms changed, and I can't off the top of my head remember what they um what they're called now. But they provide so much for for free in English because obviously it can be quite alienating going through cancer in a country where they don't speak your mother tongue. Yeah, so. no, I think there's um you know you touched on having therapy, and I had 
therapy at the beginning mm-hmm. when I first got diagnosed and I did it in French and my French is fluent but it's not my first language mm-hmm. and I definitely found it difficult to get into the subtleties of yeah. how I was feeling and then I subsequently followed up with some counselling in English and mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely easier. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think even if you are fluent, it's it's not your mother tongue. It's no, like, exactly. So it's like when you try and make jokes in a second language, they often just don't work. No, I know. So I found out to am, my detriment. I have zero personality in French. I know, me neither. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm so boring. Yeah. I mean, I'm quite boring anyway, but you No, know, you're it's... not. That is not true, <laughs> listeners. Absolutely not. So tell me, what does your exercise regime look like now? Are you one year out of active treatment? Yes, I'm a year out of active treatment. I managed to do my move every day thing Mm -hmm. all the way through my treatment. Apart from the days that I had surgery, I let myself off. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the very, very end of chemo, I my white blood cell count went right down Mm -hmm. and I was kind of touch Mm -hmm. and go as to whether I was going to make the last chemo or not. So I think I had like three... In total, that's five, maybe five days of the okay. whole thing, which I didn't move. And moving could have been like literally walk around the garden. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not talking about going for a run. Mm-hmm. And then during radiotherapy, I kind of picked it up a bit. I mm-hmm. didn't. I was lucky with radiotherapy. For, I did five weeks, and the first three weeks, I didn't really have too many side effects. Yeah, me neither. Mm-hmm. And the last two weeks, I got burnt, and I suddenly felt really tired. Okay. But I, I did keep moving. So last winter, I was trying to get sort of build up my fitness yeah and then I had another surgery to remove my ovaries so Mm -hmm. obviously that kind of knocked me back so that was this time last year so basically I've had about a year of building my fitness Mm -hmm. back to a point that I'm happy with Mm -hmm. I think for me my I lost quite a lot of strength I lost quite a lot of muscle I did manage to I I didn't do any kind of weight training or anything like that at all during any of my treatments Mm -hmm. I've picked that up quite a lot um, do you go to the gym or do you I do yeah yeah I have a little gym rat side to me I, okay. I like the gym. <laughs> right um, I've done a lot of training to instruct to be yeah. a personal trainer to lead classes all that kind of stuff so I am quite at home in a gym yeah. I'm not I don't fear the whole big boys Machine, kind of yeah, yeah. lifting weights and dropping yeah. them and grunting and whatever I just sort of move around whereas I do I know, feel is. totally out of my depth but like everyone's looking at me and I'm gonna fall off the back of this treadmill and yeah no it's I'm, I'm pretty comfortable yeah. in the gym and it's very much me my me time you know okay. I'll plug in a podcast or listen mm-hmm. to some music and just switch off from my my life and being mum and I also am working with I am a coach, but I have a coach, mm-hmm. which makes it easier because I'm I've got somebody that is following me mm-hmm. and creating a program specific for my body mm-hmm. and I could do it all myself, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's what I do for work. But it's nice to have had somebody else to collaborate with and I am accountable to them. And yeah, it makes that's a important. huge yeah. difference because I'll I know what I'm like. I'm like anybody, you know, mm. I go to the gym and I'll sort of find myself there and I'm like, ah, oh, somebody's on that machine, I can't be bothered. Mm. Or I set myself might set out to run for half an hour, but after twenty minutes I'm like, oh, mm. I can't really be bothered. Whereas if it's in a programme and I know that I'm being marked for it, my like goody two shoes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, like, oh, I'm gonna do it. So that's been really, really effective. And I would say I am probably Eighty-five percent back to where I was. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, But also, I've changed my focus in that historically I've been very 
competitive, mainly with myself, but I've Mm -hmm. always had, you know, event goals that I'm doing, whether that be trail running or triathlons or whatever. I've always been working towards an event Mm -hmm. and I'll have a focus event for the year that I'm training for. And I'm still doing stuff, but very much more for fun because Mm -hmm. I've had to accept that my body has changed and that I'm not the athlete that I used to be and Mm -hmm. you know so that's been a a huge process for me to accept that and understand that and Mm. make peace with that and I'm getting there yeah yeah so yeah my reasons have changed I was gonna say we're talking about before you you would have got there anyway at some point in your life but cancer's probably accelerated well definitely accelerated that whole (laughs) yeah process um, one it's one of the things that I've had quite a lot of therapy time for Mm -hmm. is this I'm not the same person anymore. I'm not... Historically, I've been defined by my sport and by my performance within that sport. And I'm still sporty, I'm still Mm. athletic, but I'm not standing on podiums. Mm -hmm. And I found that quite difficult. And one of the the things the therapist said to me is, basically, you're nearly 50. It's a part of the ageing process that Mm. our bodies will slow down. Mm -hmm. It's just that what's happened to my body in two years would take mm. 10 to 20 years yeah. for most people. So that acceptance process is, is slower as well, and it's yeah. being compressed yeah. and it's pretty hardcore. You know, yeah. it's like you wake up, you kind of go in the space of two years, which in a lifetime is a short period of time, mm. to having really significantly changed. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And I think that that is one thing that everyone that I've spoken to who's been through cancer or any other kind of serious illness or like traumatic life event because it is trauma and then talking about the um the kind of therapy side of things and the compressing of growth I guess personal growth thanks to cancer maybe is quite a neat segue into the other tweaks that I've made when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about was exercise stress and mental health and diet so on the mental health one we are absolutely not going to go into why we think we got cancer because we haven't got bloody clear and no one knows and there's lots of hypotheses and whatever and whatnot and this and that. But one thing I do know is that stress is just not good for you. Absolutely not. Whether you've got cancer or not, whether you've had cancer, whether you've been super healthy, doesn't matter. Stress is a bad beast. And I was suffering so, so, so badly from stress before I had cancer to an extent that I didn't even realise I was in such a constant state of fight flight that I now realise this. I didn't realise it at the time. And actually in the process of being assessed for ADHD, the conclusion is, which I'm entirely in agreement with, with the psychiatrist, I don't have ADHD. I was incredibly, incredibly stressed. And the symptoms of stress overlap with ADHD in many, many ways. And I think that's what, what was happening with me. And of course, it's ne- you'll never know, we'll never know 100%. But with the psychiatrist, I'm really leaning towards the hypothesis that I don't have ADHD. Yeah. But I was chronically stressed for years. And we could go into why, but that's like opening a huge can of worms. And we definitely need a whole other episode on that, which I would actually really like to do with my therapist. If you're listening, Christina, do you want to do an episode with me? <laughs> um, but definitely some of the tweaks that I've made... And I'm interested to hear about you and your, your post-cancer approach to your mental health. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of things that I do now, which just would not have figured before. Um, yeah. A really, really strong example came to me yesterday morning when I was running around trying to get everyone ready for school and get the lunch boxes ready and 
do everything that needs to be done, the morning routine, getting everyone ready for school and work, myself included. In the middle of it all, I'm running around and emptying the bin outside. And as I was putting the bin bag into the bin, I stopped and I looked up and there was the most incredible sunrise, like fiery red. It was so beautiful. And I looked up and honestly, the pre-cancellers would have just clocked it and gone, I don't have bloody time for a sunrise. Yeah. And like rushed back in. It's annoyingly beautiful. Exactly. I don't have time for this beautiful shit. And I just was like, I am standing here and I'm taking five minutes. If I miss the bus or the kids miss the belt, sorry, but fuck it. I, and just those moments, and it's five minutes. That's, it doesn't have to be sitting down and meditating for half an hour or doing like a whole, like, I don't know, like online meditation class or sitting down and journaling. It can just be capturing that five minutes. And those little things incrementally have just fundamentally changed my whole outlook. Sounds really <laughs> I know, for sure. dramatic, I... but it's true. So in a way, I want to say thank you, cancer, because that's really a bit, people say that and I'm like, but I kind of do get it a bit. No, I mean, I think, well, everything you've said there, I can draw very direct parallels with. I think I, you know, like you, I hesitate to say that stress was the reason why I got cancer. I believe it was probably a contributing factor. I've been through a lot of stressful events in my life. I've had more than my fair share for Mm -hmm. my age. And certainly the five years pre-cancer were incredibly stressful same stuff same um and who knows no i'm not gonna point the finger whatever but i definitely um it's an element of life that i feel i can control in terms of the way that i deal with stress Mm -hmm. obviously you can't control external life events a parent dies or somebody's in a car crash or Mm -hmm. you know things happen in life that we can't control that are stressful of course we can but the way we respond to the 50 millionth, mummy, 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 mm. and trying not to <sighs> explode and <sighs> remain patient, I've become much more conscious of being present and being in the moment. And I'm incredibly fortunate to have two amazing, very healthy children. Mm-hmm. And But my life is very busy because my partner works away. He works offshore. So half the year I'm solo parenting mm. and the juggle is... It's non-stop. The struggle's real. (laughs) And I can fill my whole day up with chores and jobs. And I'm quite guilty of being not as present as I would like to be. And certainly Mm. pre-cancer, I I was very guilty of that. So I make a real point now of in the evening before bedtime, I'll go and sit with the kids in front of the telly Mm. and like properly cuddle them. Yeah. And properly listen to them and properly actually spend time with them not as much as I'd like because Mm. the jobs don't do themselves they still need to get done but I try I really try and be present and I'm also really really conscious of not sweating the small stuff yeah you know and I think it's funny because my husband is we're both naturally a little bit stress head characters Mm -hmm. and in some he said to me a few things a few times and it's almost like he's a little bit envious mm. of the experience that I've had of having been through cancer and had this new realisation or new awakening that actually... I relate. None of that I stuff is important. I think Nick might important. relate to that as well, my husband, yeah. He gets cross with me mm. because I'll be like, don't stress about the fact mm. that, you know, the car snow tyres need changing mm. and there aren't any appointments or whatever it is that he's got in a flap about. He's like, well, we haven't all had cancer to kind no, of I make know. that, you know. I know. And the thing, I, the, um, one of the things that I've really worked on with my therapist is 
listening to my body. And it's amazing how the answers are just there in our bodies if we stop and, and listen to them. So like all that rushing around that you describe, I was very guilty of doing that as well and still do to a certain extent. But I've got so good now at stopping, even it might just be for 10 seconds and noticing what's going on in my body. And quite often it would be this swirling, uncomfortable feeling, which I now realise is my body saying, stop, just stop now. And I, I would love to say that I always listen to it and stop at that point, but obviously it's not practical. But I'm getting so, so much better at that. But what I'm also realising during that process is actually quite uncomfortable stopping because when you've been in that habit that we were in for 30 years, for uh, 20 years of just constantly on the go, doing things, doing things, doing things. It's actually quite difficult. Yeah, You have to sit through quite a lot of discomfort, but the benefits are like so huge, not least like the time with the kids, cuddling them. And you know, sometimes it drives me crazy that I have to still sit through discomfort because still my, my default setting is get up and do something. Yeah, And I'll be sitting there like stroking their heads and thinking, oh, but... You know, but I haven't finished yeah, unloading the dishwasher. Or exactly, yeah. and it's almost like an electrical charge in my body that's trying to send me out. But it's those creating those new neural pathways, isn't it? The more you, the more you override it or listen to what your body's really trying to tell you, the easier it becomes. And I think those small, those seemingly small, insignificant moments, which someone on the outside probably wouldn't even notice what was going on, like Steph sitting there giving her kid a cuddle on the sofa. But there's actually huge change occurring within you, which, you know, and the more you do it, the more it kind of adds up. And the result is just a more serene person, I think. Is serene the right word? Maybe not serene. I'm definitely a lot calmer. Yeah, calmer, in touch. Yeah, there must be less adrenaline than cortisol flooding our systems, right? Yeah. You were talking about the the swirling in your Mm. stomach. I don't get that, but my thing is... I don't breathe properly. And I've learnt to clock that. Yeah. And, you know, to try and really... I'm not talking about breath work per se, but just actually do a proper full inhalation and exhalation and just kind of take a moment. And another tweak which I've started doing, and again, it's like, I can't honestly say that I've sat down and done all the research and come to the decision that this is the right thing to do based on... X, Y, and Z in this paper and this clinical trial and whatnot, because that's a full-time job in itself. I think at a certain point, you just have to go with something, yeah. right, that works for you. And if nothing else, I very much enjoy this, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, where I go and lie in a pressurised tank Oh my god! for an hour. Yeah. I should really be twice a week, but I mean, who can, who can find two hours to go lie in a chamber? Um, so I do about one hour a week and, and breathe purified oxygen and if nothing else I feel amazing after it and I, I, I never allow myself say never I rarely allow myself to take my phone in even though you are allowed so it becomes an hour of just total checking out and I know I'm doing something good for my body and good yeah. for my mind and yeah I mean I, I'll put some links to some of the studies there are the, lots of research papers that discuss the benefits of hyperbaric oxygen therapy for a multitude of physical and mental afflictions and as with everything I think you've got to do your own research and decide what you want to do and like what what works for you and what's accessible to you and for me personally uh, is it a small chamber 
Yeah, if you're claustrophobic, you wouldn't like it. Not in a million years. No, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, no, that would be so stressful. The benefits would be overridden by my, like banging heart and high cortisol levels exactly they totally would and this is exactly one of the points i want to make is it's so personal and what works for one person doesn't work for another and i really do think it's a bit of a case of creating your own toolkit of what what works for you um you know going to the gym is your thing it's not my thing lying in an oxygen chamber <laughs> bizarrely enough is is one of my things and of course you have to speak to your oncologist or you know your doctor if you're going to go down any of those roads yeah, for me, my cardiologist was said, certainly can't do any harm, might do some good. My oncologist said the same thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, they don't. Their job is to understand the medicine and, you know, to have some knowledge of everything, the lifestyle stuff all around it. But I mean, I would be concerned if my oncologist was an expert on nutrition or be. everything yeah. else because they need to know about the drugs. Yeah. The way you were describing the the process of going into the chamber and leaving your phone behind mm. and being mindful of your breathing and feeling good afterwards, I actually get the same feelings from swimming. Okay. Yeah, because I get that. one yeah. thing where you're not on your phone. Yeah. Swimming laps in a swimming pool is utterly boring, but you are focused on your breathing. You're obviously kind of getting your circulation mm-hmm. going and getting your... But it's not like an extreme grr, muscly mm. workout. And I literally get out of the swimming pool and it's like I've had a massage. Yeah. It's amazing. I totally agree with you, Steph. That's why I love swimming as well, because you can't speak. Yeah. And you can't, there's no external noise coming in. And it's, you feel stuff because you're, because you're forced to switch off. And you either, you know, I either use the time in the pool to kind of mull things over. It's quite a good problem solving opportunity. Yeah. But also, if I'm not doing that, you're kind of in the sensations, you know, you're very conscious of your breathing, you're very conscious of the water and the feeling of being in the water and the way your body's moving. And it's, for me anyway, it's totally meditative. Um, No, I totally get get what you're saying about swimming. And I think that's another reason why I I love it as an exercise, because it's also meditative and and it's a break. We get so few of those breaks now, the way way we live our lives with technology. One that I'm not going to go into now. That's definitely another episode. (laughs) But one thing we absolutely have to... Let me see where we are with time. We absolutely have to talk about... We've got like 15 minutes. Is diet. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is a huge one, isn't it? It's massive. And there's so much noise and misinformation and well-meaning information out there and it's completely overwhelming. Conflicting information is the one I would say. I mean, it's almost got to the point where I'm scared to listen to anything, read anything or watch anything. I know. I mean, what someone said to me yesterday, I was telling them about making sourdough bread and she went, you know when you cook the sourdough that all the fermentation and everything that you've done, um, it just kills it all anyway, so there's no point. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's one of my little things that I was doing. And now you're telling me sourdough is no good. I know. I saw uh, yesterday something about stop drinking fizzy water because it's carcinogenic. I saw that, Steph. That was on Instagram, wasn't it? And I'm like, I went, we said we're not going to talk about alcohol, but it's like, if I go out for a drink with my friends now or my husband, I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to reduce and I have significantly reduced mm. how much I drink so my go-to would be a sparkling water yeah. with a and bit of lemon wine it's got to be better than a glass like, of wine hasn't it it's got to be but now I've got it in my head that that's going to cause cancer as well and it's you know I did do a little bit of a mini dive into it and I 
I didn't see any evidence. I couldn't find any evidence that made it. Yeah, I'm not sure it's true. But it's very, very difficult. We're exposed to so much information and it's so hard to know where to go with it. And It is. I mean, I'm, I'm currently reading a book which advocates for a certain diet... Davinia, but she wouldn't want to call it a diet, way, way of eating, mm-hmm. and watching them, the thing that everyone's talking about on Netflix, a twin experiment. Have you seen that on I've Netflix? I've seen it, but I haven't looked at it. I've so obviously it. that's, the results of that are basically plant-based diet, no meat is the way forward. That's yeah. the way to live a long and healthy life and not get cancer. And then there's, you know, this other school of thought where it's kind of like the good fats and actually more like a carniv- carnivore diet, ketogenic yeah. is the way forward and they're both at complete loggerheads and one team I feel like one team are accusing the other like oh that Netflix thing's vegan propaganda and the other one like oh you're farming propaganda and it's just oh, like and you don't ah! know where the finances come from it behind you know no I so mean, again like we were saying the other things finding something that works for you because you've got to, we've got to keep our sanity in all no, this no exactly <laughs> and it's I mean it was one of the first questions that I asked my oncologist and I was like do I need to give up sugar? Should I stop eating dairy? Do I need to be vegetarian? And I was obviously sounding flappy, like I just did. Um, and it was, questions, you know, though. in COVID days that I was going through my treatment. So we both had masks on and he literally took his mask off so that I could see his face. And he looked me in the eye and he just, he's French, but he spoke to me in English and he just looked at me and went, it's bullshit. Love him. Love this guy. He, I love him, honestly. Um... He's also quite good looking. I was about to say, I, I've got a bit of a crush on my oncologist. But it's a doctor thing. It's a yeah. syndrome where you always fall in I love with I felt like it was Stockholm syndrome when he was giving me chemo and I was like, I kind of love you, but you're putting this poison into me and it was all getting a bit weird. Yeah, anyway. Um, but his wife is a clinical nutritionist, so I feel like he's, ex- you know... Yeah. He probably, through her, has yeah, yeah, yeah. also got, you know, nutrition knowledge. Yeah. But I've taken that at face value because it's too much yeah to totally give everything up so i've kind of identified five tweaks Mm -hmm. nutrition wise that i do um and i haven't given anything Mm -hmm. up completely but i do i have i love this already yeah i've kind (laughs) of just altered things slightly so i eat everything in moderation Mm -hmm. still the way i've tweaked it is i do still eat dairy because Mm -hmm. i've found out that I've got osteoporosis in my spine and I want the calcium mm-hmm. and the protein. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try very hard to buy bio, mm-hmm. or organic rather. Mm-hmm. Um, can't always get it where we live, but I, I, given the choice, I will best, go for yeah. that. I've pretty much given up cheese. Okay, I think cheese is not very good for you generally, no. but I'll still occasionally have a pizza. Mm-hmm. I do still eat meat, mm-hmm. but I tend to choose fish over mm-hmm. meat. And that's a matter of taste and that's not a change. Mm-hmm. That's not new for me. But again, I'll try and buy organic. Mm-hmm. And then I have quite significantly increased the amount of vegetables and fruit that okay. I eat. You know, when you see pictures of a plate. Yeah. And the ideal plate is 50% vegetables yeah. and then a quarter protein and a quarter. Yeah. yeah. I've know. got that mental image. Exactly. Of, yeah, yeah. I try and make my plate look like that. Yeah. And even if it means that I'm making a meal where it's all mixed together mm-hmm. I try and have those proportions in my mind so okay. like for example you know we've got young kids so it has to work around whatever I do has to work around the kids yeah, and the family yeah, and, we were, we were you know a husband that, who yeah. eats quite differently you know he would think that a salad isn't a meal whereas mm-hmm. I'm quite happy with a salad mm-hmm. for a meal so it needs to 
needs to cater for everybody. But let's say, for example, I make bolognese. I will try and make the proportions of what's in the pan for the bolognese mm-hmm. very veggie Veg heavy. heavy. Mm. So I'll put, you know, lentils and carrots and mm-hmm. peas and sweet corn mm-hmm. and all stuff that the kids will happily mm. eat in with the meat and the sauce and the tomatoes and everything, lots of herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of makes it a better balanced version of, yeah. you know, just meat in the sauce. Yeah, yeah. And then for me that on my sense. plate, the kids and my husband would have a much bigger portion of the pasta mm-hmm. and I'll have a smaller portion of yeah. pasta and a bit of salad on the side. So it kind and that of, it sounds totally doable. Like, it sounds totally doable. And it's in keeping with what the rest of the family yeah. are doing, which I'm not, yeah. I'm not getting into making three different meals for different people. And then for me, I've massively cut down on alcohol. So mm-hmm. I'll tie that in with, with nutrition. There is a definite link between alcohol and breast cancer and other cancers. So that's been a massive shift for me. I wasn't a big drinker, but I was a a regular drinker and then I also have tweaked what I do food wise in terms particularly in terms of snacking Mm -hmm. I still snack I I do a lot of exercise I need to keep myself going I'm quite I'm quite slim and small and I run out you know if I run out of fuel I need to keep topping up but the one thing I have done is make sure I add protein Mm -hmm. to everything partly that's from a blood sugar point of view Mm -hmm. because even if you choose a healthy snack like let's say an apple Mm -hmm. it still causes a massive spike in your blood sugar but if you eat it with some nuts if you eat it with protein so some nuts is yeah would be my go-to you don't get that spike yeah it's not so bad for your blood sugar levels Mm. but also as a menopausal woman Mm -hmm. our protein needs have gone up because we don't synthesize We don't synthesise protein as well as we used to. So that's been also quite a significant change, but not... I've not done it in a way that is unsustainable. No, I was going to say, none of this is like, oh my gosh, like a total overhaul, like something that the average person couldn't do. No. It's just all very doable, which is also my my approach to nutrition. I would just say for me as well, it's just the the motivation. I knew everything you've just said and some of the... um, the diet changes I've made, I knew before cancer that they were the right thing to do. Yeah, of course. But we all now know. the motive, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now the motivation to really do them is is just geared up massively. So, yeah, that motivation is a big part of it. And again, it's a shame that you need to have such a horrible experience to that, actually make you. Act. Yeah, yeah, but it's such a common it's such a common story. It does sound like we're quite on the same page with diet. Actually, the one thing I would say is though, for whatever reason, dairy does not. It does not agree with me. I quite, I mean, I do, I have milk, but if there's a plant-based milk alternative, I would probably choose that because I tend to get really bloated yeah. when I eat dairy. And I also used to get really bad sinus issues and I had an awful lot of dairy in my diet. Well, and there's definitely had, a link between yeah, exactly. dairy and sinus issues. And I've also historically, I think the cutting out cheese thing has made a difference. Yeah, yeah, for me too. Um, I, I just feel better when I don't eat dairy. But now, of course, I'm realising... Mm-hmm what's in a lot of the plant-based stuff is just shit basically i know it's and also full there's of awful oils and chemicals and you know the milk that i was drinking is, i won't won't say the i won't say the brand but a, a common brand of plant-based milk and it was actually davinia that did a, a, a video on it and pointing out what was in it so when i went to the fridge next day to pour it i i read the back of the packet for the first time and the ingredients were insane i was like of course you're going to be better off drinking cow's milk preferably organic than that list of chemicals <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's also difficult in our you know 
for me personally, taste-wise, I'm a massive tea drinker. Mm. So, and I don't like tea without milk in it. No. It's just not the same. And, and, and when you put almond milk in it, oat milk. No, it's just, it gets turtles, a funny skim yeah. on the top and it's not very nice. And, and, you know, with the kids, my belief is that dairy is good for them to, you know, they're growing fast. They need it mm. for their bones. So do I. And I know there are other sources of calcium. Mm. Obviously there are, but for us, having milk in the house still works for us. Nobody's perfect. So I don't know, it was a few days ago. I just, I don't know whether I'd done like more exercise or, I mean, it used to be when I had PMT, but I obviously Mm. don't have that anymore because I'm totally menopausal. Mm. But I just had a funny day where I was like troughing food all day long. And I got to the evening and I was like, everything I ate was beige and sugary. That's Mm. really disgusting. But once in a while, yeah. that's fine. That, I had a lovely day eating like cake day. and toast and junk all lovely. day. Definitely. And, it was, and know, it's one day, you know, and then I refuse know. to feel guilty. It's a for kind it. of like 80 20 rule or maybe even a 70-30 rule. I'm, exactly. I'm the same. Yeah, I'm totally the same. If I had to say that I had one philosophy that I'm following since cancer is I'm trying to eat food and it's most natural state as I possibly can which is very very difficult in the modern world when you know supermarkets are just floor to ceiling packaged processed food and that's taking a bit more time and a bit more money yeah again not everyone can afford it and I'm buying organic meat now it's definitely much more expensive but I just you know if I'm going to choose how I spend my money that's one thing that I consider to be important and I've also like have gone organic with my fruit and vegetables as much as possible as well. Yeah, because I think the thing that scared me the most is actually taking a step back and considering what is in the food that I was eating before that most of us eat. Oh the God. bread, the sliced bread, the breakfast cereals, the healthy crackers, the farmer bars, the cereal bars, all this putting into my body and my kids' bodies for years and years and years. It's all full of palm oil. It's, it's fucking awful. Yeah, no, it's... And then vegetable oils is the other thing that really... I had no idea that olive oil, great for you. Yeah. Avocado oil, great for you. I, I knew that palm oil was awful, but even that corn oil, sunflower oil, rapeseed oil... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very inflammatory. I've never liked, like, fried foods. No. So we use very little oil, or I use very little oil in, in cooking, but when I do, it's olive oil yeah although i mean you know like you were talking about the sourdough the minute that you heat up olive oil olive oil it destroys all the good properties but you know you have to yeah it's very personal very private yeah and in my role as a coach i would never prescribe to somebody or you know it's totally individual what you eat what you choose to eat Mm -hmm. i can help with food choices as they pertain to general healthy mm-hmm. eating and weight loss, for example. But I would never say, don't eat this kind of thing, don't mm-hmm. eat that kind of thing. You know, it's that is up to individuals to yeah. do their own research. And I mean, you know, a bit like you were saying, I I listen to a lot of podcasts in the around nutrition and I was quite shocked by some of the things that I found out would be considered ultra processed. Mm-hmm. Like so well, sliced bread. Yeah. You know, I always buy like yeah. brown bread, mm. grainy brown bread. Mm. And mm. I know it's not healthy. It's not mm. freshly baked. It's got preservatives in it because, because it comes in a plastic bag. But again, we've got children mm. and mm. the bread you buy in the bakery only lasts for like yeah. less than 24 hours. Yeah. So it's like, that's, um, you know, not 
Yeah, so for you personally, that's, yeah, that's a choice that you're making. That's a choice, yeah. but I would have said, I'd said, yeah, that's processed, but I wouldn't have put it in the ultra-processed category. I'm like, oh, now that's a bit of a worry. Well... It's terrifying. Again, there's so many worries out there. Yeah, right? no, exactly. Because so, there seems to be a fasting fad as there's well. A, there's a huge fasting fad. Yeah. I've Again, I've done quite a lot of research around fasting, mm. and my personal conclusion, because I... I do think there's something in it. Mm. And I think that there are benefits. Historically, hunter-gatherers, we mm. would have gone for days without any fuel mm. um, and been burning naturally from our from our fat stores. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, particularly as women, even if you're very, very slim, you have quite high, a huge number of calories worth of fat in your body that mm-hmm. can be used for energy. Mm-hmm. And historically, you would burn those all up and then go and hunt for your next meal. Mm-hmm. And my conclusion on, but I also think it's quite good to give your digestive system a rest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, people, I just keep hearing people saying, I've never felt better. I'm yeah. fasting and full of energy and, you know, side effects like losing weight and whatever. But I mean, even watching an interview with Rishi Sunak. Yeah. Did you watch that interview? No, no, no. He was on Breakfast TV banging on about fasting. Like, even the Prime Minister's <laughs> fasting. <laughs> I mean, my conclusion on it, because I I did kind of think, oh, I should give this a try, because there is an argument that you kind of starve out cancer cells by fasting. And I'm like, it can't hurt to give my system a bit of a rest. So the way I do it, and I do fast, I fast between 12 and 14 hours almost every day. Overnight. Overnight. But that just kind of occurs naturally. I was going to say, yeah. I think I I do 12 hours naturally. Yeah, I I eat dinner with the kids. Mm. 6 or 6 30 and then mm-hmm. i don't eat breakfast again until let's say eight o'clock mm-hmm. so i mean that's 13 to 14 hours natural of natural fast, fast. Yeah. and so what i have stopped is snacking at night but obviously you know if i go out for dinner with friends we tend to eat later and mm. that won't happen or the once a week that i do allow myself to have a drink that's probably going to be later mm. in the evening and i don't then adjust it i'll still have breakfast at the normal mm-hmm. time it's okay of, so it's not a hard and fast no rule okay it's super interesting i mean I, we'll have to finish soon we've gone on to our hour, so much to say. So many people told me when I was doing chemo that I should I hate the word should. She'd given so much information on you. It's like when you're pregnant, people start telling you do oh, this, no, do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I kept getting told to fast the Around, day before yeah, chemo. Yeah, the day before and the day of chemo. It's the one thing that I just could. I tried, I tried, and there was one day I went for my chemo, and I must have been looking very green around the gills. My oncologist said, "What's going on?" And oh, she said, I'm just starving and I'm supposed to be fasting. I'm, I'm supposed to fast while the chemo goes into my body. And he was just like, just have a sandwich. Yeah. Madam McEvan, is he going, just go have a sandwich, please. He's like, nurse, go get this woman some food. <laughs> I didn't actually do any research around it until, because I had, I did speak to a few people before it's I started chemo. supposed to help chemo. the nausea, big time. And it's also supposed to help the chemo work yeah. more effectively. Yeah. Which, I mean, you can imagine it's kind of going in on an empty stomach or yeah. an empty system and your cells are all empty and devoid of anything. Yeah. So they're like, yeah. absorb it all. I never did it. I don't regret not doing it, though. No, because... we got through it. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think so much of chemo is coping, coping, survival, just get through it. It's short term. I mean, that's a whole other episode. And then, oh, God, I could talk for another hour, but we must stop. Maybe we'll, we'll do lunch to have. One. I know, I was going to say, yeah, what are we going to have for lunch? <laughs> Actually, on the way here, I stopped to get something to eat because I was hungry and it really was a case of what's the least bad thing oh God. in yeah, this motorway, motorway service stations. Station. It's like you can usually get some nuts or yeah. a slightly mouldy apple. 
yeah, it's bad. <laughs> it, was, it was bad, but yeah, yeah, you know, you've got to make do with what you can. I was, thank you so much. That no, thank you so much. Thanks for coming up here. We squeezed a lot in, and uh, I have a feeling there might be a part B to come. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd love you to tell all your friends. And perhaps you could follow us on Instagram and or Facebook by searching for us at Convos During Chemo. If you have any feedback for us, good or bad, we'd also love to hear from you. Please send us a message or a DM. The email address is chemoconvo at yahoo.com. You can also contact us on Facebook or Instagram. See you next time.